Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants, indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. It is Wednesday, August 17th, and this is People Every Day. Hi, guys. Welcome to a special episode of People Every Day. I'm your host, Janine Rubenstein, and I have a question. Can we talk for a minute? (laughs) We are about to do just that with the musician who, thanks to one of his most beloved songs, made that very question famous. I grew up listening to 90s R&B phenom Tevin Campbell singing along to his hits, Can We Talk? and Tell Me What You Want Me To Do. I swooned like everyone else when he'd pop up for a cameo on The Fresh Prince or Moesha. And then, and this proves I'm a millennial, when he lent his one-of-a-kind voice to the soundtrack of a goofy movie in 1995, belting out the hits Stand Out and Eye to Eye as frontman of the all-time best animated rock group, Powerline. That was it for me. I became a lifelong fan. A lot has happened since then for the star, whose career began when he was just 12 years old, you guys. There's been trials and triumphs and a deeply personal journey most people don't know about. But he's here with me now to bear it all. So if I may steal another hit song title of his, I'm ready. Tevin, (laughs) welcome to the show. (laughs) <laughs> Thank you for having me, Shanice. Oh, it is such a pleasure and an honor. Thank you. Oh, well, look, it has been a, a while since most fans have gotten to see you in action, but recently you performed at the African American Museum of Music in Nashville. And this is a museum where you are featured and your amazing work is featured. So what was that like? I always get nervous before events like that, but it's great to be honored in that way. And I'm in a point in my life now where I'm actually able to appreciate the things that I did back then. What'd you perform for those who didn't get to see it? Oh, you know, the ones in everybody loves, can we talk? I'm ready. Break it down. We'll shh, break it down. <laughs> uh, always in my heart. Goodbye from the first album. You know, the ones that everybody loves. Well, I think it was Quincy Jones who said, you know, around when you were discovered at 12 that he likened you to Aretha Franklin and Stevie Wonder. And then you had Round and Round hit, hit song with Prince. So what was that like to be put on a pedestal like that at such a young age, like not even a teen? Yeah, there was there was a lot of pressure. It wasn't so much a pressure meeting those people and working with those people because I was a kid. But the pressure was hearing things like the next Stevie Wonder, the next Michael Jackson. He sounds like Michael Jackson. But also it's a big compliment to be compared to people like that. There's not a lot of people that get compared to Michael Jackson or Stevie Wonder, you know. Well, everyone was dying to work with you. That is for sure. And I hear that there is an interesting, funny, behind-the-scenes story to the song Can We Talk, one of your biggest hits. Yeah. Okay, can we talk? 
And unbeknownst to me when I was recording, when I was a kid, I had no idea that this was the story behind Can We Talk. But apparently, L.A. Reid wanted to wanted Usher to have Can We Talk and Babyface wanted me to have Can We Talk. And it was a huge, huge fight because at the time, Usher was signed to L.A. Face Records. And me and Usher <laughs> actually talked about, we talked about this last week. We're both over it. He's over it. I'm over it. But I've been talking a lot about it in a lot of the interviews that I've been doing lately. But he's the one that brought it up like six months later. He was like, well, Can We Talk was supposed to be mine. How big was this fight behind the scene? I have no idea. I think they sort of like split up over. That was one of the many disagreements that they were having at that time that they were working with me because they, they were not on the third album. They had already split up by then. Yeah. But like like I said, while it was happening, I had no idea. I don't want people to know. Like I read about this from, so this is like secondhand knowledge, but yeah, that's, that's the story. Wow. Yeah. Well, it, it landed exactly where it was supposed to. And it has even had a resurgence on social media. Has it not the Can We Talk challenge? I think Tank started it. Tank started it and it went on for like months. Yes. You know, and it was amazing. It was amazing. Like, and I don't say this just because uh, it's my song. Mm-hmm. I sang the song, but Can We Talk is actually just an incredible song. Yeah. I had no idea at the time, like when I was 15 or 16 recording the song, that it would have that impact. I was just a kid singing mm-hmm. in the studio. I listened to the songs. If I liked it, I sing it. Yeah. But I didn't think about the future. But oh my God, that song is really, really powerful. And all the new generations are learning it because their parents listen to it. Yeah. What I loved about the challenge was that all the, the talent that I got to see on TikTok, yeah. like the young talent, it was amazing. Yeah. Why aren't these kids being signed, you know? Mm-hmm. Where are these kids? But I can still sing it. I can still hit the notes. So that's a blessing. How did you see yourself back then? And how did, how would you say the world saw you? And was there a disconnect at all? First of all, I didn't think about any of that when I was a kid. I was just, yeah. it was work, 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 work. If I wasn't in the studio, I was doing videos. If not that, I was doing press tours. If not press tours, I was doing photo sessions. I'm a country boy from a very small town in Texas, Waxahachie, mm-hmm. Texas. And I started this when I was 12 years old. I enjoyed singing. I enjoyed that. I enjoyed listening to songs and going into the studio and slaying them. Mm-hmm. They used to call me One Take Tevin, and I love that nickname. I think when you are introduced to the world as a kid, then that's how they always are going to see you. Mm-hmm. And I was introduced to the world in a big way. Quincy Jones, back on the block, with a song, a beautiful song, Tomorrow Better You, Better Me, which I'm so proud that that was my first song. You know, that's, I think, how most of my fans, like my real, like older fans who mm-hmm. were, see me as a kid, this kid. I swear to God, I mean, I hear it all the time. You know, oh, you grew up. Oh my God, how did you go? <laughs> but you look good, though. You look good, but you got gray hair. They still see me as a child star. So that's one of the, cons of being a child star. Yeah. But in a way, it's a pro because they, they love you like that. I think Warner Brothers sort of tried to market me as a sex symbol, which was not a good idea, in my opinion. I think that they had they knew that they had a kid who had the mature voice who could sing these love songs. I think that most producers that I work with use me as a muse because they were going through all their relationships. And you got this kid who can sing these songs, and you, you know. And I think that people thought of me as this young kid who had this incredible voice. I don't think that... Uh, I don't think the sex symbol thing worked. Yeah. <laughs> Not at all. I think that that's what people saw me as, this kid who, this young kid who has this beautiful voice. That's just, that's who I am. That lines up perfectly. I think Warner Brothers made a big, big mistake, but the love songs last. Well, it was a very different 
time back then than we're in now. And I mean, the R&B industry was so different. And I mean, it's still a very heteronormative space. Yes. So how did that affect you when you entered your teens, entered your 20s? How was that space for you? Like I said, it was work. I didn't have time to process any of that. Yeah, I knew my sexuality, but I didn't think of the representation that I didn't see in the business. I didn't think about those things. Yeah. When I came out to my family and my friends when I was about 19 or 20, that was it for me. And then I went on this road of discovering myself. I didn't know who I was. I didn't know how to do anything but go to the studio and sing. Like, who is this guy? Who are you? Yeah. You know? Well, you had Tevin in 1991, (laughs) T.E.V. I died in, <laughs> in 1991, and then I'm ready in 1993, and then around your third album, things started to slow down. So remind me or everyone of what was going on at that period. There were a lot of politics that was going on at Warner Brothers, so <laughs> I'll never forget showing up at the photo session for that album, and I had the twist. And they literally lost their minds. It's like, what are you doing? What are, why are you doing the twist? And then right after the I'm Ready, it was a huge fight with Prince and Warner Brothers. Mm. And those songs that he produced, they couldn't do anything with those songs because he didn't allow it. So it was a lot of stuff going on behind the scenes with me and Warner Brothers. Back to the World was a big big surprise for me. I didn't understand why I wasn't selling. I didn't understand why Warner Brothers wasn't concentrating on me as an artist. But I know now a lot of people were like Mo Austin, and who just recently passed away, I think a couple of days ago, mm-hmm. rest in peace. Ray Harris, Hank Spann, all those people left. Those were all the people that made Tevin Campbell who he was, and they were Black people. Yeah. They started concentrating on the pop artists and the pop music. And there was a lot of changes going on with, with R&B music at the time. Yeah. I also think it has a lot to do with just the child star syndrome. They didn't know what to do with me. It's a business. All right, guys, don't go anywhere. After the break, we continue our in-depth interview with Tevin Campbell. We'll be right back. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants, indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. So when did you decide to just take a step back for yourself? And and was that a conscious decision? I wasn't interested in doing any more albums. I was very, very pleased to be away from uh, Warner Brothers, to be away from just a whole world of it. I did some very sporadic recording in between 2000 and 2004 with a lot of different producers, but nothing stuck. I wasn't, my heart wasn't in it. But then I got this call in 2004 to come and audition for a Broadway part in Hairspray. (laughs) I got to move to New York. I got to live on my own. And I had to sign in 30 minutes before showtime. And I had to dress myself. And I was working with a a group of people, which was something that was totally new to me. That was a change in my life. Yeah. That was a great time in my life. I grew up a lot. Yeah. I grew up a lot. In those years, mm-hmm. LGBTQ plus people that were like living normal lives and 
had partners. And I had never seen that. That was pleasing to me. And they were great people. Yeah. So I was never around that. So that gave me this whole outlook on the world. And then I went to live in Australia for two years doing the same part with a whole different cast, a younger cast. So they kept me on my P's and Q's, but they wanted a real black seaweed with the black accent. You know? <laughs> you can't, Australians ah. can't do the black, the black sense. So for six years, I lived on my own for the first time in my life. And I'm telling you, it was just great. I needed that. Well, you've always had such a strong support system. So I'm wondering... What was that like, shielding like for you when there were reports, when there were comments? This is before super digital social media age, but back then it was still happening in a different way. Uh, Questions about your sexuality, questions about you, people trying to figure things out. Did that get filtered through to you and how? No, no, I was protected. I was very much protected. (laughs) There was no social media back then. And I didn't hide anything about me. I was me. I didn't give a damn, you know? Mm -hmm. I didn't try to act a certain way or anything. And I think the Warner Brothers was like, okay, you know? (laughs) Because you just couldn't be that back then. Yeah. You couldn't. You know, but what I really love about people is, you know, Black people especially. (laughs) Oh, my God. Because we act like we don't have one gay person in our family, like a gay cousin or a gay uncle, you know? I think that we have a lot of work to do when it comes to that accepting. There's a lot of stereotypes when it comes to LGBTQ plus people. I didn't do the quote tweet, which was something to the effect. So girls tweeted something like, I had a talking to my mom and she told me that so-and-so and so-and-so and and Tevin Campbell were gay. Mm -hmm. Help me. And I was like, well, Tevin is, and put the rainbow emoji. Yeah. But it was just a casual thing to me. I don't care what people that I don't know or I will never meet. I love my fans, but what they think about me and my sexuality has no is of no importance to me. Yeah. Like you support me, that's cool. That moment, you tweeting that, I think it was right before Pride Month. It this just year, happened to be that. I didn't even ha- realize. It happened to be that. Yeah. And, and you tweeted that out. And it's so interesting to talk to you now about how that was like, yeah, Tevin is. And then it gets taken as, this is it. Tevin Campbell has cut, like, you know. (laughs) That's the problem to me. When we can get to the place in society, especially black folks, where somebody can just say, you know, yeah, I'm gay. Like every person in the world isn't straight. Get over it. When you get to a point in your life where you love yourself so much and you don't give a damn what people think or say about you, that feels so good. And hopefully you can inspire other people to do that. You got all these athletes coming out and, you know, you gotta be you. You don't want to die pretending to be somebody else. What the hell is that? You have to be you. You have to be happy. You mentioned it, but in the music industry, when you see the Frank Oceans and the Lil Nas X's, you know, just sharing that part of themselves with fans, what goes through your mind? I hate that it wasn't like that in the 90s, but I'm glad that I get to see that. And I'm, you know, I'm glad I get to see that. I wouldn't have been prepared when I was a kid, to be a spokesperson of the LGBTQ plus community. But I'm glad that it's changing, you know? Yeah. Because there are a lot of kids, especially young black boys, that need to see representation. Yeah. Yeah. Because the machismo thing exists in our culture, too, and it's poison. Your kids, as young as five years old, that have committed suicide, coming out to their friends and being bullied, because they're not being taught to love themselves because of what they are. You know? Yeah. That's not good. Yeah. Yeah, so we got to do better. I think all of this helps. 
I, I love that. Yeah. Well, okay. I need to know what a day in the life is like for Tevin Campbell these days. Like, oh, well, one, uh, are you, how busy are you? Are you single? Are you in love? I'm in love with a lot of people. <laughs> I so I take that as you're single and dating. <laughs> I'm, I'm not. I'm not dating. I'm sort of trying to get myself together. I want to. I'm working on another album. I just want to do new music. Yeah. And so I'm doing that. I'm moving. I'm doing a lot of stuff. So this whole rest of the year, I'll be very busy creating. Hopefully by spring of next year, I'll release. Uh, the album. So if anything happens in the midst of that, that would be amazing. But I don't trust people very well when it comes to that. Yeah. So it's going to be very, I feel sorry for the person that comes after me. <laughs> I'm not <laughs> trying to be like, ooh, I'm a poison. But uh, I have trust issues. All child stars have trust issues. I would love to talk to Drew Barrymore one day. I love her. Because she's a child star. Yeah. She's been through it. And I've heard her talk about her trust issues. And she starts just started dating. It's hard. I, I believe when you go looking for stuff like that, you never find it. Well, I, I have to ask the question: Is R and B dead? What do you think of R and B right oh, now? No, I know it's not. No, it's never dead. <laughs> I think a lot of passion is dead, but I think there's a lot of passionate artists out there that are doing great R and B music that are not being recognized, mm. like the mainstream artists. Yeah, uh, I've said this on every interview that I've done the last this whole year. Jasmine Sullivan to me is. She's a real R&B artist. <laughs> I love her. They exist. Frank Ocean is great. Yeah. You know, he has swag. What is, he's, he's great. He has passion. And I can hear the lack of passion in a lot of R&B music too. Mm. So I think that's what's lacking is the passion. You know, when you try to sound like everybody else and try to get the crossover hit and, yeah. and do the hip hop R&B, which is nothing wrong with hip hop R&B. But if it's not your thing, don't do it. I can hear it right away. You can't hide the fakeness in the music. Somebody has to set the bar. And people like Jasmine, people like the ones I just mentioned. And so mm -hmm. I think they are setting the bar because there's a lot of trash out there. It's just it's ridiculous. <laughs> it's disgusting. But I don't think it's dead at all. No. Well, last but not least, what makes you happy right now? I think what makes me the happiest right now is how far I've come in my life. Being able to look back on things and laugh at them and appreciate that and embrace that, the ups and the downs. So the fact that I'm still here and be able to talk about it and laugh about it and smile about it. And I think that's what makes me happiest right now. The fact that I've embraced me. Mm -hmm. And because I used to beat myself up over little things. If you're 45 and you're still beating yourself up for your faults, that's not a good thing. Yeah, Love yourself. Love yourself. Love yourself. Love you. Love all of you, the bad and the good. Wow, Tevin. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much for just being here, letting me sit <laughs> eye to eye with you. Okay. Yes, I threw power line back you in. You did. That was nice. <laughs> Well, that is our show for today. I'd like to extend a very special thank you to our guest, Tevin Campbell, for being so open and honest and sharing his story. If you'd like to read more from our conversation with Tevin, pick up a copy of this week's issue available on newsstands Friday or head over to people.com to see our in-studio interview. I will be on vacation the rest of the week, but Nigel Smith will be back behind the mic for your Thursday episode of People Every Day. <laughs>